You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. I'm here, too. There we go. And today we want to talk about something that, that most of you are, are, are probably either familiar with or have seen to some degree, and that's target date funds. And if you've ever wondered what happens to your money when you invest, when you put it in your workplace retirement plan, if you don't do anything beyond just put money in, or maybe your employer has an automatic enrollment where you automatically contribute money to a retirement plan, what happens to that money if you don't actually go in and and pick some investments? So uh, in most employer retirement plans, the default is they invest you in what's called a target date fund or a lifestyle fund. And uh, these are pretty much universally um, you know, implemented in, in almost all workplace retirement plans these days. But you can invest in them in other accounts as well, like your Roth IRAs or brokerage accounts, you name it. Um, it's not exclusive to workplace retirement funds. But today we're going to dive into what these are. Are they good? Are they bad? What, you know, what scenarios do they make sense? And I think part of the... The uh, inspiration behind this topic, you know, I, I first started working as a financial advisor in 2009, so over 12 years ago now. And when I would review clients' retirement accounts after initially meeting them, I, it was alarming how many clients were just invested in cash in their retirement plan. I'm like, hey, you know, you, you have all this money in here, but it's not actually invested, it's just sitting in cash. And the common response was, oh, huh, I thought my employer managed that for me. And you know, a lot of people are under the assumption that their employer just manages the, the money in the workplace retirement plan, or you know, maybe they hire an outside firm to do it for them. And, and the employee has no say or control in, in that. But that you know, couldn't be farther from the truth these days. You know, back in the old days, sure, our parents or grandparents' generation with the, the classic pension plans that were managed by an employer or, or an actuary, um, you know, it, it changed you know, in the 70s and 80s with the implementation of 401ks where it went from a you know, company-sponsored directed uh, investment vehicle to an employee-directed investment vehicle from a defined benefit to a defined contribution plan uh, to be technical. But um, with, with pretty much all workplace retirement plans, unless it's a you know, defined benefit pension, like the old-style pensions that are becoming you know, few and far between and going the way of the dinosaur, um, if you have a 401k, a 403B, those are probably the most common, but others could include a 401A or a 457 or a simple IRA or a SEP IRA. Um, but you know the most common are 401Ks and 403Bs, so we'll stick with those. And if you have one of those at your workplace, uh, if you don't elect to do anything with the money, odds are it will automatically be invested in a target date fund based on your age. And um, 
you know, we'll dive into this a little bit more, but in short, they start out more aggressive and gradually get more conservative as you get older. And in my opinion, it's one of the best things to ever happen to workplace retirement plans, just because most individuals out there, you know, can barely spell 401k, let alone know how they work, what the investments inside them mean, how to invest the money in there. And, and you, know, you know, most people don't have the interest or desire to spend time learning that stuff. So having the money automatically invested in a somewhat appropriate portfolio based on your age and, you know, rough trajectory or timeline for retirement um, you know, is a lot better than having the money just sit in cash. Or you know better than than if if left to their own devices if if you don't know what to do with the money investing in something that may be completely inappropriate for your circumstances and your goals so it gets you at least something that's you know roughly in line with with where you should be so but uh, let's dive into what is a target date fund Rochelle mm-hmm, absolutely I do feel like once in a while you come across people who also assume that like the type of account they're in, like I'm in my 401k or I'm in my 403b, that that is what they think determines what the investment is or like the 401k is an investment, the 403b is an investment, but it's not. Like what's the investment is the thing that your money is in inside of your plan. So like Corey said, most of the time nowadays that default is a target date fund. A target date fund is just a type of mutual fund. And a mutual fund, just as a, a quick review, is basically a place where a whole bunch of people can pool their money together, and then there's an investment manager that decides what to do with that money within a certain set of parameters. And the parameters of a target date fund have to do with your age, and based on your age, what your estimated date of retirement is. So they might look at a 30-year-old and say, okay, so based on the fact that you're age 30, we're going to assume that you're going to retire around the year 2055, around your age 65. And so because of that, we want to be fairly aggressive with your investments. And that doesn't mean doing anything crazy. It's not riverboat gambling. It's not putting everything in Google or Netflix. It's basically doing a very, very well-diversified stock-based investment portfolio. So the, the target date funds for someone who's very young will usually be about 90% stocks and about 10% bonds. That can vary a little bit from fund company to fund company. Some fund companies are a little bit more aggressive. Some are a little bit more conservative. It just kind of depends on their individual approach. But generally speaking, it's going to be aggressive when you're young. And then the other piece that it does is that as we get closer to that estimated date of retirement, so that year that's in the title of the fund, if it's 2055, that's the year that's like the target date. As you get closer to that date, things automatically start to get more conservative. So it's on what's called a glide path where over time, as we approach the point where you may need to tap into that money, it's going to get a little bit more conservative, which means switching some of those investments from stocks to bonds. It doesn't mean that we get very, very conservative as we approach that year. So it's not like when you get to 2055, everything is in bonds, because ideally, when you get to retirement age, you're still living for a few more decades. Like we still need some of that money in the long term. So some of it still needs to be fairly aggressive. But maybe it's like 60% stocks and 40% bonds when you get to that, that year 2055 for a 30-year-old. 
And obviously, there's all sorts of different funds. You know, you can have some funds that are like 2025 for someone who's approaching retirement very soon. That one's already fairly conservative. It already has a, a much higher percentage in bonds. Um, if you're not sure what to do, this is so much better than throwing a dart at a board or looking at the mutual funds that are available in your plan and being like, oh, that one got 20% last year. Let's do that one because obviously it's the best. That's that's not the way we want to go about picking investments. So if you're just not quite sure, this is a really good default. And that's why your employer puts you in there as a default. Because if we're not sure, if we, you know, if we're gonna ignore it, if we're not gonna pay attention to it, like that's probably gonna be the best place for you to be. That being said, there are a lot of pros and cons to target date funds. They're not necessarily a perfect fit for everybody. There's some downsides. We want to make sure that we kind of pay attention to your overall investment portfolio long term. So it's definitely something to be aware of, but not like just switch because you think it's not the best fit. (laughs) We don't want to assume that either. You want to get into some of the cons, Corey? I was going to say, before getting into pros and cons, just a couple other quick thoughts. Like one, you don't have to invest your money in the target date fund based on the aligns perfectly with your age. So the the default in a lot of retirement plans is puts you in one where, all right, when are you going to turn 65? The target date, usually they're in five-year increments, 2020, 2025, 2030, 35, et cetera. But what's the one closest to the year you turn 65? Um, that's the default, but but if you want to invest in a target date fund, you could pick a different one. If you want one that's more aggressive, you could pick a target date that's further out than when you would turn 65. Or if you want to be more conservative, you could pick one that's closer in. You know, maybe it's when you turn 50 instead of 65. Um, <clears throat> so that's an option too. The other thing, that glide path, it doesn't just end at the target date. So that, that's the target date, again, aligning with your age 65 for, for how they're designed, but it continues to get more conservative as time goes on. So, you know, for example, uh, a 2020 target date fund might be, like you said, Rochelle, 60% stocks and 40% bonds today, but 10 years from now, it might be 50-50 or 40-60. And, you know, 20 years from now, when you'd be in your 80s, it might be, you know, 20% stocks and 80% bonds. So it continues to gradually get more conservative forever into the future um, you know, as time goes on. One other so thing, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say one other thing is with, with the ones that are fairly far out, like 2055, 2050, 2045, they're not gonna be very different. So all of those have a fairly long-term time horizon. So it it would move that date when it starts to get conservative a little closer. But right now, it's going to be fairly similar. Like any any Vanguard 2045, 2050, 2055, all of those funds are probably 90% stocks and 10% bonds. They're very, very similar to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, these funds... Um, you know, like we said, you know, let's start with the, the, the advantages or the pros. You know, we already talked about the big one. I think just as a whole for retirement savers in this country who can't tell their left shoe from their right, it's a great way to get people invested in something that's somewhat appropriate for their circumstances. Um, you know, because probably the worst thing you can do with your retirement money is leave it in cash. Then you're just guaranteeing that you're going to lose money over time due to inflation and loss of purchasing power. 
you know, a dollar today only is going to buy about 50 cents worth of stuff in 25 years. Um, it's only going to buy about a quarter worth of stuff in 50 years. So things get more expensive over time. You need your dollars to grow. The only way to get your dollars to grow is to invest in something that, you know, has a tiny bit of risk to, you know, and it'll go up and down from year to year, but over time will hopefully go up more than it goes down. Um, you know, another big advantage, it's simple. Like there's hardly any thought to it. All right, when do I turn 65? Boom, pick that date and set it and forget it. So it removes a lot of the guesswork, a lot of the thought, a lot of the emotion, very hands-off. If you, if you want a hands-off way to invest your money and you're not working with a financial advisor or don't want to or just have an overly simple situation or you know maybe this portfolio, especially if it's a workplace plan and they don't allow advisor access, which many of them don't, um, you know, some do, which is cool because a lot of clients who, who have 401ks or 403bs that allow advisor access can let their financial advisor help them directly with those accounts. But, you know, many plans, you're just left with a limited menu. No one's overseeing it directly. So you can just put it in a simple, you know, set it and forget it strategy that will, you know, rebalance uh, as, as needed and gradually shift to be more conservative over time. Um, and, you know, the, depending on the fund, they, they could be comprised of low-cost index funds, which will be a relatively low-cost strategy. Um, some are more actively managed and can be a little more expensive. But again, you know, there's, you know, both can work. It's, it's more a matter of personal preference there, in our opinion. But any, uh, any other benefits or advantages, Rochelle, you can think of? Yeah, I would say that the one thing about target date funds, well, not the one thing, but one of the things about target date funds is that they're also fairly consistent in that they take that emotional play out of it. Like there's no, like as long as you leave it in there, it's not like you're reacting dramatically to market. The fund itself is not going to react to market movements dramatically. Whereas if you're in individual funds or actively managed funds, there can be some of that going on. So it's it's a very consistent strategy over time. It's not going to be reacting to things as they happen, which we know most of the time is not very successful. If you are reacting to the market, if you are making changes based on market movements, it, it doesn't normally work out very well. Um, so yeah, I think bottom line, it's simple. You get your money invested. It's not in cash anymore. And that is a good thing. That is a great thing. Yeah. There's definitely some things that aren't as great about them. Um, we talked a little bit about how they can be low cost. So some of them are made up of low cost index funds. But just using Vanguard as an example, I think we've talked about them quite a bit, but that's one of the most familiar target date funds is that they can be higher costs compared to the underlying funds that they're using. So with the Vanguard target date funds, most of them are about like 0.15 percentage points. It just kind of depends on the fund that you're in specifically. But the underlying mutual funds that that fund uses, like the total stock market index and the, the total international index, most of those are somewhere between like 0.03 and 0.06%. So you are paying more 
just to be in that target date fund. And you can look at what's in a target date fund. On the Vanguard website, for example, you can see like what percentage is in the total stock market fund, what percentage is in the international index, one percentage is in bonds. And if you have similar options in your 401k, you can kind of divide it up in those similar percentages and pay less money. But that takes work. So, you know, and it may also be that you don't have those fund options available to your in your 401k. So like Corey mentioned, if you're limited to the options that are in your plan, you may have a list of 30, 35 mutual funds, but it might not be those exact ones that are in that target date. So you might not be able to exactly replicate that, but you may have low cost index funds and you can do approximately what that target date fund is doing sometimes. Like you said, it's, the higher cost is the convenience fee for not having to do the work yourself. You know, you're paying to have them do it for you, uh, you know, a tiny bit more expensive, but it, it removes the effort from your plate. Probably worth it if that's what you're looking for. Right. And and it's not just the effort on the front end, like doing the math, figuring out what funds to put in. It's also the ongoing effort to make sure that your percentages don't get out of whack. So if you're using individual funds, you have to go back in and you have to rebalance periodically. Because if you put 60% in domestic stock and 30% in international stock and 10% in bonds, you could go back a year later and that's not what it is anymore because the market moves. So the target date is automatically boot moving back to what that that target allocation was. Whereas if you're in the individual funds, you have to go back in and do that yourself. You have to sell a little bit of domestic if it outperformed, buy a little bit of international. And that can provide value over time. So it's not something that you want to ignore. It's not something you want to go in and do frequently, but but definitely something you want to be aware of if you are using individual mutual funds instead of the target dates. Yeah, I think another, probably the biggest downside is just the general assumptions um, about you, your goals, when you want to retire, what, you know, your comfort with risk is and market fluctuations. You know, they assume that all people are going to retire at 65, live just as long and have the exact same financial goals and circumstances because, you know, everyone's invested the exact same way. So, you know, initially, if you're just getting started with a low dollar amount, sure, you know, everyone's pretty similar. All right, I'm 30. I've got a long ways to go. Just put me in something aggressive. You know, probably works just fine. But especially the further along you go, you know, the more things can vary from one individual to the next. You know, the the financial goals and, and needs for, you know, someone in their 50s or 60s could be drastically different from someone else in their 50s and 60s and require a much different investment profile for that person. So something to be mindful of there, while it is a good hands-off generalized approach, it is very generalized and not specific to you in any way, shape, and form beyond age and the assumption that the older you get, the more conservative you should invest, um, which, you know, as a general rule is, is pretty true. But, you know, if you're like more than financially independent, you got more money than you'll ever need and more money than your kids will ever need. Good problem to have. Maybe you want to keep the foot on the gas pedal and be more aggressive with some of your investments. See if you can grow it even more and, and create some generational wealth. 
Um, you know, you maybe have some rental properties that are generating more than enough income to cover your living expenses in retirement. Well, why be super conservative with your tax sheltered retirement accounts when you could be more aggressive in hopes of growing those to a larger sum so you can pass on a larger inheritance to your children or to a charity or something. So there may be some arguments for certain individuals to not follow the traditional glide path that gets more conservative over time. But, um, but again, you know, if you're looking for the hands-off approach and, and some sticking with the generalizations, it's great. But if you want something more specific to you, they're probably not the best fit. So what else, Rochelle? Yeah, I think one other thing is that sometimes the, the allocations themselves are a little bit too simple. And this completely depends on what specific fund you're in. Some of them are very complicated, and those ones are, are normally a bit more expensive as well. But some of them are very, very simplified. Going back to like the Vanguard ones, they use the total stock market index as their domestic exposure. But because they use that index, it's very heavily weighted towards large companies and a little bit to mid companies. And there's almost no exposure to small companies or like the small company exposure is very, very limited. And that's because, you know, those small companies are a small percentage of the overall domestic stock market. That's why the index is the way that it is. But there is some value to having some of your funds in those small companies because they have a lot of potential for growth. They're also a lot more volatile, so you don't want a ton of your money in small companies, but probably more than two or 3%, which is what the target date funds often are. So, you know, it, it can make sense to look at that and see if there's anything that's kind of lacking. If you're at that point where you have some help or you feel more comfortable with asset allocation. But I think that's that's kind of a high bar for most people, like just diving more into that asset allocation. So again, if you're not sure, it probably makes sense just to stick with that target date, which is probably going to be the refrain for the entire episode. But <laughs> <laughs> and along the lines of the asset allocation, it, it can differ from fund company to fund company, like you said, you know, for example, mm -hmm. and I'm making this up, so don't fact check me on this because it's probably <laughs> inaccurate, but like, let's, you know, Fidelity and Vanguard are probably the two biggest names in the industry. So let's just stick with them for now. So hypothetically, let's say Fidelity's 2045 target date fund is 95% stocks and Vanguard's 2045 fund is 80% stocks. Um, so you might look at the two, you know, just from a 30,000 foot view and, and, you know, the recent performance is usually the first thing people look at and say, huh, Fidelity's fund has performed a lot better than Vanguard's fund. So it must be, it must be better run, better managed, you know, have a better asset allocation, whatever. Well, in reality, it's the only reason it's done better is because it's weighted more heavily to stocks and stocks have done really well over the last three, five, 10 years. So, you know, if you're invested in the thing that's done really well, it's going to do better than something that has a larger exposure to something that hasn't done as well. You know, not that bonds are, are bad. It's just they haven't grown as much as stocks and they're not expected to. That's the whole point. They're, they're more conservative. So, you know, again, depending on your circumstances, your goals, you may want a more aggressive or more conservative uh, portfolio allocation. So two target date funds with the same target date may not actually be constructed super similarly or, or you know, near identical. They might be somewhat different. And, um, you know, again, it really varies for, for you, your goals, circumstances, what you're looking for. Um, 
So, you know, it kind of all gets back to the, as a general starting point, they're great, but for each individual, they, they may differ. And, you know, some might get that glide path might transition from stocks to bonds faster than another one. You know, in this example I just made up, you know, Fidelity's, if they're invested more heavily in stocks for longer, it might have a quicker transition, but it might not happen until a later age. Whereas Vanguard's might be a slower transition, but it takes longer to get from, you know, 90% stocks to 20% stocks over time. Whereas Fidelity's transition might happen in a shorter window, but ultimately get to that more conservative level just in a, you know, 20 year timeline instead of a 40 year timeline. Who knows? Yeah. Functionally speaking, you probably will only have access to one set of target date funds in your employer plan. Like they probably aren't going to offer you both Fidelity and Vanguard, but that's where you can kind of look at those years and say, okay, so the two options I have that I think might be appropriate are this 2055 fund and this 2045 fund, whatever it is. And you can pull it up and you can look at what's the percentage of stocks versus bonds. You can find that online. <laughs> if you're not sure, you know, reach out, ask us how, but, but it's pretty easy. And most of the time there are like fund descriptions on your employer retirement plan website too. So you can pull that up and kind of decide how aggressive you wanna be. But you, you may not have an option of like, yes, I would like to do Vanguard or yes, I would like to do Fidelity. Um, with your own plans that you're managing, so if you have a Roth IRA or, you know, a traditional IRA, a rollover IRA, something like that, or even like a brokerage account, you can still use those target date funds. The ones you have access to will probably depend on the platform that you're using, but you do have a few more choices there. So that's definitely something that you can explore if you're, you know, trying to get started with a few things on your own and you're not quite sure what to do. Yeah, and like if you have like an E-Trade account or something of that nature, you know, you, you can invest in Vanguard, you can invest in Fidelity, t Price, you name it, like all the fun companies are available. So, you know, you might have a, an array of target dates to pick from all of the same year if you want to invest in that. And again, they can differ slightly in their composition. But any other thoughts, pros, cons, things that we left out before we kind of wrap it up here, Rochelle? Yeah. I think when you're looking at them and, and trying to pick, try not to give too much weight to recent performance. I know Corey talked about that already too, but you know, sure performance matters, but it's backward looking. You know, it doesn't necessarily indicate what's gonna happen in the future. So pick one that's well diversified, preferably lower cost, but don't give too much weight to performance, especially if it's you know, if it's relatively close, it's not it's probably not dramatically different. Um, yeah. Well, honestly, if you're if you're investing in target date funds, the performance from one versus the next is probably low on the list of attributes you're looking at. It, 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 you know, no offense, it's basically the lazy way to invest. <laughs> like, which is good. I think you know, investing in a lazy manner is actually good. The less you meddle with your portfolios the better you'll probably do over the long run. But if you truly want just a set it and forget it strategy, um, you know, that's why you're investing in a target date fund, not because like you think the performance is going to be the best of all the choices. You think it's just the easiest way for you to invest in a hands-off manner and the exact company you're using, you know, probably doesn't make a giant difference in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I guess in summary, what target dates are is basically just 
a, an entire like all-in-one investment portfolio or a mutual fund that you can use that's re- like investing based on your age and your estimated date of retirement. And it will automatically get more conservative over time. I think it can be a good way to get started, but it's one of those things where as you get closer to retirement, as you have more assets, more other things in the picture, like it's not just your 401k for most of the folks that we're talking to here. It's going to be your 401k and your IRA and maybe real estate investments like Corey was talking about. It can be much more important as you get closer to retirement age, as you build up those assets to make sure all of those investments are playing nice together. Um, so definitely something to, to pay attention to in the long run, but a good way to get started. Yeah, uh, target date's great for, I think, the average investor, retirement plans as a whole, just gets people invested in a you know rather somewhat appropriate manner. Uh, are they right for you? Depends, as always. It depends on your <laughs> circumstances, goals, et cetera. So case-by-case case basis, but... If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Otherwise, thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks, guys. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP. Instagram at Corey Janoff or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.